Well, good morning. It is good to be here under the roof, Kristen, out of the rain, out of the humidity. And it's good to be here with you this morning. As the church gathers to worship and praise God, we know that God and Christ is with us as we gather here in the sanctuary and as we gather on our virtual platforms. I know that Christ is with us. And it's just good to be here with you. You know, we had, uh, Leanne had quite an episode on Thursday. Our children kept calling us saying, it's really hot in the house. We're like, well, turn the AC down. And they kept calling back. It's still hot in the house. It's almost 90 degrees. Well, the AC wasn't working. So Thursday night was warm in the Boykin house. (laughs) Just excused himself and went to a friend's house. (laughs) Why can't adults do that? Why can't we call up our friend and say, can I come spend a night at your house? Um, But we got it fixed. Everything's good now. Um, you know, we've been in this sermon series, a short sermon series um, this summer that the lectionary has kind of led us into as we've been kind of considering uh, First Kings and Second Kings. We, last week we talked about Elijah and the work that Elijah was doing. You know, we, we talked about that, that confrontation on Mount Carmel where, where Elijah met and had a duel with the, with the prophets of Baal. And of course, Elijah is the prophet of Yahweh. And Yahweh has a definitive, devastating victory over Baal and the prophets of Baal and Asherah. Some 950 prophets were killed in that confrontation. Just an amazing story. And then we, we, if you read further into that, into that, into that, um, the story of it's called the Elijah cycle. When you read further in there, we, we run across this episode where Elijah has been told to go um, from the far reaches of the wilderness down in Mount Sinai, where he's on the mountain. Remember, he was on the mountain uh, of God, hiding in this cave. When God calls him out and says, I'm going to pass by, and I want, to, I want you to come out of the cave to experience me. And then we had this powerful wind that split mountains and broke rocks, and an earthquake that, that trembled the entire earth, and then this fire, and, but God was not found in any of those things. And then there was this calm, this eerie calm. Some translations call it a, a thin quiet. And there we find, we find the presence of God. That's where Elijah found the presence of God. And, and God asked him, what are you doing, Elijah? Why are you in this cave? What are you looking for? What are you running from? What are you trying to do? And Elijah, again, lays out this litany of concerns. He's afraid for his life. He's the last of the prophets of Yahweh, the last of the prophets of the one true God. All the others have been put to the sword. And the people have not changed. They're not listening. They're not getting it. Why am I even doing this? I, I just, I'm afraid for my life. And God doesn't say anything about Elijah and his fear. There's no judgment of his fear, of his concern. But God says, Elijah, go to Damascus. Now, Damascus was beyond north of the northern kingdom. 
which meant he had to pass through the southern, through the wilderness, through the southern kingdom, through the northern kingdom, which is where his enemies were, Ahab and Jezebel, and then beyond the northern kingdom into Aram. Go there and anoint the king. And then go to Israel, where Ahab and Jezebel are, and anoint the new king there. And anoint Elisha as a prophet. Well, if you read further in this, we, we find that Elijah did make it to Damascus and he, he anointed Jehu there. Then he, he anointed Elisha in chapter 19 of 1 Kings. We find Elijah, Elisha, sorry, I get these names, bear with me. Elisha is in a field, it's a farmhand, and he's working, plowing the field with 12 oxen. Now, I've never worked with ox or oxen. I have no idea what kind of labor that would entail, but 12 of them sounds like a lot. And he's then there plowing this field, and Elijah comes over to Elisha and throws his mantle upon him, as a symbol that the mantle, the authority, the power of the prophet of God, the one true God, the prophet of Yahweh is being passed from Elijah to Elisha, this farmhand. Elisha, understanding the symbolism, wants to follow Elijah, but he turns back. And he, he slaughters the oxen as a sacrifice and feeds the people in the area from the food. And then he chases after Elijah and catches up with him and follows him for the rest of Elijah's ministry as, as Elijah becomes his mentor. And Elisha is his student, his disciple. Elijah's men, cycle, Elijah's ministry and work saw all kinds of powerful events that God was doing among the people of Israel. Elijah witnessed battles, wars, and conflicts. His entire ministry was about turning the people of Israel away from Baal and Baal worship back to Yahweh and to the worship of God, the one true God. That was his ministry. That was his work. That was his calling. And God gave him all that he needed, all that he required to conduct this work, to succeed at this work. But now his ministry was coming to a close. The sun setting on his work. And this is where we find our reading today. In 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we have this story. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went, and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. 
Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. May God bless the reading of the word. Thanks be to God. This is a pivotal passage in the story of Elijah and Elisha. This is the transition from the mentor to his student, to the disciple, from Elijah to Elisha. And there's some incredible things taking place here. It's hard for me to kind of get my head around all of it. And the only thing I can think of is that whenever Leanne and I would travel back to Tallahassee from, from wherever we were living, I always take this, took the same kind of route when we arrived in Tallahassee. We would pull off the interstate on the Thomasville Road, and I would drive down Thomasville Road south on Thomasville Road, and we would arrive at Colonial Drive, which is a short little, short little road in the kind of midtown of Tallahassee, and I would take a left on Colonial Drive, and there on the Second, the third house on the right was the first house we ever bought. And I would drive by that little cottage, and we would look and see what changes had made. We would look, and, and, and I couldn't help but think about that. That's where one of our, our first Christmases was took place there, and, and that's, that's where we got our first dog, Max. It was a beagle. He was with us for 16 years. It's where I learned that my grandfather had passed away. A lot happened while we lived in that house. We only lived there for a year. And before that, we lived in a place called Mary's Drive, so I would leave Colonial Drive, and I'd make my way down to, to, um, uh, to, to Mary's Drive. We would drive by the first apartment we lived in. It was a quadruplex. That's where we had our first Christmas together. It was our first place, and we'd have friends over, and we'd watch the Thursday night lineup. Remember the Thursday night lineup, Friends, Seinfeld? Remember all those shows? That's what we did every Thursday night. I remember our first Christmas, we went down to the Christmas tree lot. It was just down the hill from Mary's Drive, and we bought a Christmas tree and, and dragged it back up the hill. thought we were the Waltons. And then we would drive to my parents' house, and that's where I was in college when they bought that house, and I remember everything that happened there, and, 
And then you, typically while I'm there, I'll go to my childhood home, the neighborhood, and drive through that neighborhood. And, and I remember all these things that happened in these different homes. I don't know if you do that. But whenever I do, it just takes me back in time to these different occasions and different events and, and things that were just kind of jump out at me. These were, these were mile markers. These were important places in my life that I, I, I grew up and I understood life and I, I learned a lot of lessons. And so when I go to Atlanta, I'll drive by Rocky Creek just to see the house we lived in there. And that's where Ellie, that's where she came home to from the hospital. Learned a lot of lessons in that house. But that's kind of what's happening in this story with Elijah and Elisha. Now, we skip three verses in this reading, but we get an idea of what's happening when they leave Gilgal and they go to Bethel. And they leave Bethel and they go to Jericho and they leave Jericho and they go to the Jordan River. These are important places in their story, in the history of the Israelites. Gilgal's where they came over from into the promised land. This was an important place. The 12 tribes were united. This confederation of tribes were united as they entered the promised land. It also recalls that that's where the Israelites received their first king. It was in Gilgal. When they, when they leave Gilgal, they, they arrive in Bethel. This, you know, Elijah and Elisha, they've, they've kind of revisited that, that home, that important place. And they remembered the confederation of tribes, the unity found in that confederation. And they remembered the unity found in the monarchy that Samuel anointed. And when they, when they leave there, they, they arrive in Bethel and, and, and they, re, they can re, easily remember this was an important place. This is where heaven eats, meets earth. This is where Jacob had this dream about the ladder and he saw the, the angels descending and ascending up this staircase, this ladder. Because that's... This is where heaven and earth meet, in the house of God. This was also the center of this confederacy of, of tribes during the Judges. When you read through Judges, this is where they gathered. This was the central place in Bethel. But it's also a place where Jeroboam, an Israelite king, and the divided kingdom, he set up a royal sanctuary there in Bethel, and he set up a false god this, this golden calf for Baal worship. It shows the, the division. Bethel also had the history of division and it had the history of, of idol worship. Not all of our histories include good things. There's some dark chapters in our past and there were dark chapters in the past of the Israelites. And Elijah and Elisha were visiting those different place markers and then when they arrive in Jericho, you, we all know the story of Jericho, how the walls came tumbling down as the Israelites, they made their way over in the book of Joshua, they crossed into the promised land and they marched around the, the city of Jericho and they blew the trumpets and the walls came down. Because they followed God, because they obeyed God and were faithful to God, God displayed his power and authority and conquered the city of Jericho which stood in their path. Also, Jericho represents a bit of rebellion as well. Because after the city was fallen, the, the walls were in ruin, 
Joshua declares that this city, this place is cursed and, and no one will ever live here. No city will ever be, exist here again. And sure enough, Israelite kings go back in and they rebuild a city. It's part of their history. Then they arrive at the Jordan River. It's a short walk from Jericho, just a few miles. This is the boundary between the wilderness and the promised land. And when, when Elijah rolls up his mantle, it's this outer clothing. It's a thick outer clothing, probably made of, of, um, of sheep. Um, uh, what do you call it? The, the wool. Thank you. Whoever said that. Thank you. Sometimes words are just not there. Um, but he had this wool mantle, and it was, it was thick. It was heavy didn't have sleeves on it, but it's, it was used to guard against the elements. But particularly at night when they would sleep, they could use it as like a tent, a personal tent to shield them from the elements. And, and this mantle, he takes it off and he rolls it up and he strikes the water and the waters just pile up one side and the other, which recalls Moses putting that stick in the water, that staff, and the Red Sea just piles up one side to the other, and the people, the Israelites, cross over on dry ground. The Jordan River is a, a place of transition. As the people transition from the wilderness to the promised land, from those who are hopeful to those who have received the promise. And now as Elijah is passing on the mantle to Elisha, it's a transition from one prophet to another, from one work to another. But one God. The Jordan River is an important place. And when Elisha picks up that mantle of Elijah, and he strikes the water and it parts for him to enter back into the promised land, he probably thought of Joshua as he led the people, the Israelites, over the Jordan River on dry ground. These history, these place markers, these important places in the history of the Israelites, they had gone to these places. They had remembered what happened there. And maybe it was for the, maybe it was for the purpose that Elisha could understand what he was picking up when he picked up that mantle. God had called him. God had called him through, the, through Elijah when he placed that mantle in the field. And God had continued to call him throughout Elijah and Elisha's ministry together. And now, as Elijah was being lifted up in this whirlwind, God was reminding him of his call, of the work that had been done, of, of God that had been present with the Israelites from the very beginning. And when he looks back over the history, all the good and all the bad of history, he knows what his work is about. It's about God establishing, maintaining, keeping and renewing, revitalizing, reclaiming the covenant relationship with his people. Reclaiming his people from idol worship, from enemies from within, enemies from without. It's about reclaiming that relationship between a loving parent and a parent's child. 
That's what God desires. That's what God works for through prophets like Elijah and Elisha. And so when Elisha picks up that mantle, he's asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. That could mean, that could easily mean he was asking for the firstborn son's inheritance, which is about two-thirds of his father's estate. It could also mean that he understood himself to not have the power that he, that he, that he knew it would take. He didn't have the mental the spirit that it would take to do what he was being called to do. And so he asked Elijah, just give me a double portion because I need at least that much to get through what I'm being called to do. And when he picks up that mantle and he strikes that water, he knows it's been confirmed. He has been given all that he, is, all that he requires for the work he's been called into. This farmhand driving 12 oxen, has been given the Spirit of God to offer the prophetic word to God's people, to be a leader among kings, to see wars and conflicts, to give guidance and oracles of wisdom and God's prophetic word in the midst of a world that is topsy-turvy. He knew he didn't have what it took, what it would take. But because he had this history, and he had revisited his history and the history of his people, he could look back and, and see where God was present, where God intervened, where God intersected human history, and God acted on behalf of God's people. And he knew that in the future, his future, that God would be faithful and steadfast and would intercede and would intervene on behalf of God's people. And just as God had given Elijah all that he needed, and just as God had given all that Samuel needed and all that David needed and all of the kings, all that they needed and all of the prophets and all that they needed, he too would receive all that he required to be about the work of a prophet. And so maybe sometimes when we read these passages like from First and Second Kings, we should read it as history, a faith history. And it's hard to take history of prophets, history of the Israelites and the divided kingdom and place it on ourselves to make contemporary meanings. But maybe... We can read it just for what it is, a faith history, and to understand that God is always present, always willing, desiring, and able to intervene on behalf of God's people, to bring us back to a covenant relationship with God through people like Elijah and people like Elisha and Samuel, Moses and Joshua and people that we know at places we've been. So when we look back through history, we'll see the God of history. We'll see the God of history who intersects and intercedes and intervenes. 
When we see that, when we experience that, when we remember that's the kind of God we have, we can go into the future with an assurance and a faith and a hope that God is there. God is interceding, intervening on our behalf. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.